Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Uh, Well, if you got a Bible, you can go to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, Today is Palm Sunday. I hope you brought your palm branches because we did not provide them for you. Uh, I thought y'all were going to bring yours. Uh, But yeah, today's Palm Sunday starts Easter kind of officially uh, Passion Week and Easter this weekend. I want to remind you of services Friday night and Saturday night, Friday night 7, Saturday night at 6, Sunday 8, 10, and 12, which will be our service times moving forward at this campus, 8, 10, and 12, even after Easter. But, um, and then our campuses, uh, uh, 9 and 11, 15 next uh, Sunday morning for Easter. So if you're coming to this campus, I would encourage you to come maybe Friday night or Saturday night. Um, you know, these, these middle services on, on Easter will be very, very crowded, which will be great. Um, and if the person you're bringing wants to come that Sunday, then, or come at that one of those times, then you come at one of those times. But uh, you may want to consider one of those other service times as well. And speaking of the campuses, I know we welcomed you, but I want to welcome you as well. Glad that you're joining us. If you're on a screen somewhere else, lean in. God's getting ready to speak to you, and uh, we're just going to let God uh, have his way in this service. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 21, and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 21, this is Matthew's account of, of what now we, how, what we call Palm Sunday. Um, Matthew 21, verse number one. If you don't have a copy of God's words, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples ahead, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them. Uh, if, uh, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had asked, had instructed them to do. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, I love this, the whole city was stirred. I'm believing for a city-stirring visitation of Jesus. I really am. The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, and it's the title of my message today. The crowds answered, this is Jesus. I'm going to preach a message just called, this is Jesus. And we're going to pray, ask God to speak to us, to move us, to mobilize us. There's not much we can't accomplish when we come together. So let's pray that God would do that through us 
Lord, you're good, and we thank you for your word. I pray that today, as we look into your word, that your word would also look into us. And Lord, we come to you and we say yes. So move us and, and mobilize us. Uh, Lord, let a fresh call rest upon this church to impact our world, yes, but also to impact our city right here. And so speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, it was probably like eight or nine years ago, and I was getting ready to fly somewhere and speak um, in a different state. Don't remember what, where I was going. And after I went through security, somewhere in that process, I had my driver's license out, and then I think I dropped it at some point in that process and did not even realize it. And so I got to the next city, and I preached wherever I was preaching at, and then it came time to fly home, and I got to that airport and went to my wallet to get my driver's license out and noticed I didn't have it, and uh, so I was like, oh, man. And so I had time to call back here and uh, have them send me a couple um, photocopies of my driver's license and my passport. They were both on file here at the church. And uh, so then I had that just as, uh, you know, to try to get through security to come home. So uh, when I did, I said, well, I lost my, light, my driver's license, but I have this stuff. And so I don't know if it's normal, but they let me through. It might have been the favor of the Lord. Don't call and complain. I was glad. It worked out. All right. So I got home, and then a couple days after that, I got, I think, maybe a letter from someone at the Orlando International Airport that said, hey, uh, we found your driver's license and it's here in the lost and found. And I was so glad because I had not started the process of going and you know, getting a, a duplicate made and that's, that can be quite a process. And so I was so glad that I didn't have to do that. So they said, yeah, just come to the lost and found office. They told me where it was. And so I did. So I drove up to the airport and I went where they'd said to go to the lost and found, and when I got there, I said, hey, um, I lost my driver's license, and I think it's here. I got a letter, and uh, they said, okay, what's your name? I said my name, so then they go and look around, and they come back, and uh, she goes, uh, uh, she asked me a question that I think is one of the most amazing questions I've ever been asked. Uh, as, as she sat there looking at me, she goes, uh, okay, um, yeah, I think we have it. She goes, can I see some ID? <laughs> And I just kind of looked at her sideways a little bit. I was like, is she asking permission to look at the idea that she holds in her hand? Like, I want to be like, yes, you have my permission to see ID because you have it there. Uh, so I didn't go into all that. She's holding it. She says, uh, can I see some ID? I said, well, I mean, that's it. You have it there. And I was like, I mean, this, look at this. This would be the ID. I was like, first look at this and then look at this. It's going to be very similar, I promise. Uh, but the ironic part, obviously, is that she's holding the image that she's searching for. Like, that's the, that's the uh, ironic part of this. And I feel like that mankind is doing the same thing. Um, of, course, of course, we're searching after more of God. Those of us that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it just makes us want more of God. So, of course, we are searching always for more of God. But I believe that every lost person who's involved in every 
kind of deplorable thing you could ever think of, I think what they're actually searching for as they go after the relationships and as they go after the the sex and as they go after the drugs and as they go after the thrills and as they go after the success, as they go after the money, I think what they're all really searching for is God. And the crazy thing is they're created in God's image. They hold the image that they're seeking and they just don't realize it. That's what's going on in this story. And I love this dialogue between the city and the crowd. That's how Matthew describes it. There's a Q&A between the city and the crowd. I don't know how that worked. I don't know if like for the city, the mayor was the spokesman or the whole city said it in unison. But the city, when all this was going on with the palm branches and Jesus coming through, Matthew says that the city cried out and said, who is this? Who is this? We, we must know who is this. And so as the city asks who is it, Matthew says that the crowd, the crowd answers. Again, I don't know if it was a spokesman for the crowd or all the crowd said in unison, this is Jesus. What an important dialogue that happened as the city was stirred. And I think the reason why, we can look at maybe some reasons why this this citywide Q&A went so well for them. And maybe we can learn some things in the process. I think the first thing that jumps out to me as to why this, this moment of, of question and answer was so pivotal and so important for the city of Jerusalem is because uh, there were some disciples that were sent with an assignment. They were sent ahead with an assignment. There were some that went and did what Jesus asked them to do. Verse one and two, we read it. Matthew 21, says they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples ahead. He sent two and he said, hey, go to the village ahead of you. And once you get there, you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus sent some to be the advance. Jesus sent some to prepare. Jesus sent some ahead early. And can I tell you this, that Jesus is still looking for some early adopters. Jesus is still looking for some leaders. Jesus is still looking for some people that will buy in and get ahead of the game. Jesus is looking for some people that will, that will be in, out in front of what he is doing. That's what the call, is, the call is on all of our lives. I mean, think about it. Even a service like this, no matter what campus you're a part of, even if you're watching somewhere else from your house, even the technology that it took, there were so many things that happened in advance before this moment, right? Like so many people setting up and, and preparing things and working on technology and uh, even, even like even uh, the, the building and even outside the building, our, our landscapers across all of our campuses are trying to make it just look extra good for, for Easter next week. And so we're already planning, right, the, the, the city coming through and being stirred. Um, the, but, but the production level takes some planning and some preparation. Prayer, there's been hours and hours of prayer leading into this moment already. Like some people went ahead and said, God, I'll accept the call not to just show up to church. 
I'll accept the call not just to come and be a participant. I'll accept the call to make sure that what happens there is anointed by God. I'll accept the call to make sure what happens there is of eternal significance. And so there have been people that have prayed even before this moment, prayed for this service. I've prayed for, for this. I've prayed for this message and studied for the, like a lot of prep. And Jesus is still looking for people who will get ahead, who will be sent by God ahead of time and, and be used of God, sent with an assignment on your life. And you are. You are sent as a, as a Christian. You are sent your life. You're sent with an assignment of, on your life from God. I, I think I like to look at it this way. Um, and I was thinking about this this week because uh, it's something I've been guilty of a couple times in my life. But this week, my wife was guilty of it. And so I'll tell you more about it in a second. But here's Here's, why, here's how it happens is, is sometimes I will be sent by my wife to the grocery store. And I don't mind the grocery store. I kind of I like the grocery store. And so she'll send me there and say, we need uh, milk and paper towel. Like, right, that's what we need. And so I'll say, okay, I'll go. And I get to the grocery store, and then I just start to get overwhelmed with all of the options. I mean, I just start to see things that uh, sound really good. I start to see things that I saw a commercial for. I'd have been wanting to try that. And so I'll start putting that into my shopping cart. I'll start to find sales. Oh my goodness. Buy one, get one free. I mean, I'm throwing money away if I don't take advantage of this bad one. And so I'll just start buying stuff and buying stuff and buying stuff. And I sometimes, this has happened unfortunately more than once, I have gotten home, my, I was sent with an assignment to get the two things. I've gotten home with just bags of groceries. Bag, I mean, I, hold on, I gotta go out and get the second load from the car. Like, and I'm expecting my wife to be so excited and be like, way to go, above and beyond. She doesn't always have that, that excitement. She's like, what all did you get? And I was like, oh, let me show you what I got. I start pulling out lima beans. Buy one, get one free. She's like, we don't need lima beans. We do now. Buy one. Did you hear what I said? Buy one, get one free. And unfortunately, more than one time in this situation, I've finished emptying out the bags to, only to have my wife say, hey, uh, so where's the milk at? And that's the moment that I go, no, that's, it's still at the store. I want to make a separate trip for that. And I head back out. It was cool because the other day, uh, I, I sent her to the grocery store. I was super tired and she's like, you want to go? And so then her and my daughter went instead. And so, uh, and one of the things they were going to get some, some they're just going to get some sweets, some ice cream and some stuff like that, whatever. So I got that. That's good. Do that. And then, uh, but, we, but then we also needed a couple other things. I don't, I think milk was actually one of them. And uh, so she got home, and when they got home, uh, my daughter was like, hey, mom, mom forgot to get what she was supposed to get. Like, she got so excited about the ice cream, she started buying all this extra ice cream stuff, did not bring the milk. And I, I mean, I let her have it. I just laid in. I said, I sent you for, no, I didn't at all. I'm just kidding. How many know this, though? 
that when I come home with all those groceries, it does not matter how much is in those bags of groceries. If I did not accomplish what I was sent to accomplish, all that stuff is of no significance whatsoever. The same is with our life. Listen, when we are living our life, we're not just meant to be some mundane, just go through the motions and it's a typical Monday, it's a typical Tuesday. For a Christian, there's no such thing as a typical Tuesday. You are sent by God into your work environment. You're sent by God into those conversations. You're sent by God into that school. You're sent by God. Like everything on your life, you're sent with an assignment. And if you don't accomplish what God's called you to accomplish, all the other successes, all the other things you're adding to your life, when you stand before God, you'll wish you had accomplished what you were sent to accomplish. Uh, it's just simple, right? He just, he sends these disciples and he says, hey, I want you to go take care of this. And they did it. Sent with an assignment and it helped stir the city. I think also in verse three, I love how Jesus says it when, when they get there on this assignment. He goes, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and they will send them right away. I, I, just, I just like that basically Jesus goes, if you have any problems, you just, you tell them it's me, all right? You just let them know God, all right? Just if anybody says anything to you, you just let them know God. I like, it, the way I would say it this way, their success was sovereign. Like, their success was set up, I mean, it was gonna work out just fine. Why? Because God said, I, I'm, you tell them I sent you. Everything's gonna be fine. You will find success. There was a, uh, um, years and years uh, over the years here at, at, our, at our Christian school, um, there's been a few times where we've done a, like, a basketball game uh, during maybe school or something, and, and they'll do like a staff versus uh, players basketball game sometimes. And I've, I've got to play in that multiple times, and, uh, and it's, it's always uh, a fun time. And uh, one of the reasons why I like playing that game is because the staff is undefeated. We've never been beaten by these students. And, uh, uh, and when you go into the game, I mean, you're looking at these students and they're all like nine feet tall and physically fit and they can run like eight hours and have fun doing it. You know, like it's just, I mean, they're, and they're, they're, they got plays and they're dunking the ball. I mean, it's just, but we've never lost. You know why we've never lost? It's because the referees are on our side. <laughs> Yeah, the whole thing is set up for us to win. Like we go into it. Matter of fact, I will go into it and whoever's guarding me, I will literally say out loud and say, hey man, check this out. I'm older, uh, I got some issues, so just go easy. Just don't even play defense on me. Just let me shoot and stuff. Is that all right? And the kid will look at me like, come on man, I'm pastor. Like, would that be all right? And they're like, okay. So like I'm setting it up right there. And then the referees, like every call goes our way. I know it going into the game. Every call's gonna go our way. Every out of bounds, staff ball. Like every time it doesn't matter. Every time one of us shoots, nobody's even around us. Foul, free throw, if we miss it. Like it's set up for us to win. Now it has to be because otherwise it's just a complete blowout. But I love going into that game knowing that the, stack, that the deck is stacked in my favor. Can I tell you as a Christian, you are set up to win. Like you are. As a Christian, you are set up. The, the deck is stacked 
for you to succeed. For, for, for what you put your hand to, when you do it as unto the Lord, you are set up to win. You're set up to win, like to have success in your, in your heart, in your soul. You're, you're set up to have success in your, in your vocation. You're set up to have success in your righteousness. You're set up to have success in your relationships. You, like it's already been predetermined. I just have to tell you, I, I know that sometimes the world, like it can look like the whole world is turning upside down. It can look like the whole world is turning away from the things of God and we can somehow, sometimes we can start to get a little scared and a little nervous and go, oh my goodness, what's going on? I just might need to remind some of you, hey, we win in the end, okay? You're on the right side. So we're set up to win, but let me tell you the secret to that success. The secret to that success is realizing that you rarely find God in Scripture asking someone what they want to do for him. What you'll find in Scripture, instead of God asking someone what they want to do for him, you'll find God telling someone what he wants them to do for him. That's the secret to success. It's not that I would just do what I want to do and say, God, why don't you come along and bless this stuff that I'm trying to do? Why don't you come along and do, uh, do something for me here because I, I feel like I want to do this and I feel like I want to start this and I feel like I want to go here. That's not the secret for success. Will God bless that? Yes, he might bless that sometimes. But the true secret for success is to say this, God, why don't you tell me what you're doing and I'll just get in front of that. Why don't you tell me what you're doing and I'll just get behind that. That's the real secret for success. You see in scripture, when God would tell people, hey, this is where we're doing, this is where we're going, and somebody would come alongside and say, I'll be a part of that. Well, you know that the wind is coming. And the same with, with these disciples, man, they were set up to win. Jesus said, when you get there, and when you do what I've assigned for you to do, even if there's some interference, even if there's somebody that comes along and says, hey, what's going on? Why are you doing this? Just mention that I'm behind this and things will go your way. I don't know that you're promised success in every single aspect of your life, but I think you're promised success when you're doing what God asked you to do. Yeah, amen. So there was a, there was a uh, success that was sovereign on their lives and it, 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 that helped stir the city. Also, um, we see this uh, the sacrifice that's made by some of these people. In verse seven and eight, they brought the donkey and the colt, and then they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And the Bible says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road um, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And so we see this this moment of sacrifice where people are, are, are spreading their, their clothes, their clothes. I don't know exactly uh, what this looked like. I want to show just a quick little uh, video scene from one of the movies. It just might give you a picture, because this was a little bit uncharacteristic for Jesus up until this point. He had been very low-key. It had been very much like, hey, don't, don't mention that I did this, or don't don't, uh, don't mention who I am, and wouldn't, would, hadn't really referred to himself even as a king, and yet now in this, uh, in this shift, now he's, he's going triumphal entry, and everyone is just, I mean, declaring, it's just amazing. So this is maybe something, just sort of what it looked like. Just check this out. 
The next day, the large crowd that had come to the Passover festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Praise God! God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. God bless the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, just as the scripture says. Do not be afraid, city of Zion. Here comes your king, riding on a young donkey. So, I don't know if it looked exactly like that. Matthew describes that some of them were, were literally taking off their articles of clothing and uh, they, they, they put that on the donkey for Jesus to sit on. That some of them were taking off articles of clothing and then laying them in the ground for these animals to walk over. Scholars believe that probably what some of them were also doing is taking off articles of clothing and placing them on the, the walls and on the, on the shrubbery on the sides. They were trying to beautify this area uh, where Jesus was coming through. They were trying to beautify this image of the Messiah coming into this city. And think about what it cost them. Think about how they looked as they take off their, this outer garment. Now, what, what do they look like so that he'll look even better? Think about that, that as these animals trample on these clothing, that when they come to put those clothes back on, what those clothes now look like with these dirt stained and these prints and, and whatever's going on. Like, think about what they're willing to let their image drop to so that his image is seen. This is the call on our life. That we would get to the place that we would say, God, it doesn't matter what I look like. Some of us, if we're being honest, we're just too busy protecting our self-image, and it keeps us from ministry opportunities. We're afraid of how we're going to be received. We're afraid of how we're going to look. We're afraid of what somebody's going to think about us if we, if we let somebody know that, we're, that, we're, that, we, that we love Jesus so that we would invite somebody. To, we're, we're afraid of what it would do to our image. I like that they sacrificed their image so that the image of Jesus could be seen. Yeah, and it's the same for us today that that would happen. Sometimes uh, we think, and I, I think it's human nature, but sometimes we think that we are the star of our story. And let me just tell you right now, you all look beautiful. You do, and you're talented, and you're awesome, and you have a lot to offer the kingdom of God. Does everybody feel better? Okay, because I'm getting ready to pull the rug out from under you. <laughs> but you're not the star of your story. I mean, seriously, no matter how talented you are and no matter what your parents have been telling you your whole life, you're not the star of your story. Jesus is the star of your story. So in this, in this uh, we, we've been talking about some of the other players in this story, but in this story, the city was not the star and the crowds were not the star in this story. Um, the disciples weren't even the stars in this story. Um, even the donkey the donkey was not the star of the story. The donkey got to carry the star of the story. So even if I had to put myself somewhere in the story, even if I put myself as the donkey, which would probably be the lowest rung of all the list of casts, like as the credits roll at the end of Palm Sunday, donkey played by donkey. He's the last one mentioned. And even if I have to be that, 
I could find fulfillment that on the back, I carried on my back, I carried Christ into a city and the city was stirred. So what would keep us from even taking a, a low position like that? What would keep us from being a carrier of Christ into our city? I think probably like, I would mention three things I think are most common that would sometimes would keep us from that. The first one would be this, that, that this, uh, this attitude or this thought of like, I've never done this before. I've never carried Christ before. I've never been one to initiate the conversation. Nobody even knows I am a Christian. I mean, I am. I love Jesus, but I don't know if anybody knows it at work. I'm, not, I'm just not that. I'm not the person. I've never witnessed to anybody. I've never talked to anybody about Jesus. Listen, don't let I never have keep you from accomplishing what Christ has sent you to do. There's got to be a start at some point. And the problem is the, the longer I go, like if I feel like I never have today and then I go tomorrow and then I never have one more day and then I go the next day and I still never have, it just gets harder and harder and harder. And so can I just speak to some of you I never have? Let this week be the week in Jesus' name. Just go for it. I promise you'll live through it. Matter of fact, you'll feel fulfilled. You'll feel such peace. You'll feel the anointing of God on your life when you start to accomplish what God has sent you here to accomplish. And so maybe it's just as simple as taking an Easter ticket with you wherever you go. And even though you've never done it before, maybe this is the first week you invite somebody to church. Yeah, and I think that is one of the things that keeps us is the I never have. And then I think one of the other ones that can keep us from it is the I'm not worthy to carry him. I'm not worthy to carry him. This is such a great lie of the enemy that you're not good enough, that you're not spiritual enough, that you're not holy enough. You come to a service and you start to look around and you see people that are more spiritual than you and have been through more of the journey of faith than you have. And they've, they've studied more scripture and they have more memorized and they've been saved longer and they, they misbehave less. Like I, whatever you wanna, you can compare yourself to everybody and go, see, I'm not worthy. But until you get to a story like this and you go, wait, who was carrying the Messiah? Who was carrying the King of Kings into the city? Was it this incredible stallion horse? Was it a, a massive chariot? Because it could have been. I mean, Jesus could have called for a, a heavenly chariot to come down, and he could have really brought some attention to himself in that city. But he didn't. He chose something that was unworthy to carry the most worthy king of all times. That should be a sign for us that you're not unworthy to be used of God. Quit believing that lie. Some of us, it's I never have. Some of us, it's I'm, I'm not worthy. And some of us, it's, it's, it's different. It's because I've already carried him. I've already carried him. That's why I'm not carrying him now. Here's what I mean by that. Some of us have carried Christ into communities, carried Christ into environments, been an ambassador for Christ, and done so with effectiveness, so much so that I start to get proud of what I'm doing. I, I get so proud, as a matter of fact, that I start going into these environments and I don't even realize that Jesus isn't on my back anymore. This can happen. Can you imagine what, what it would have been? Let's, let's put ourselves in that, in, those, in that donkey's, I start saying the donkey's shoes. He probably didn't have shoes, all right. <laughs> let's get our mind in the mind of the donkey. 
What if like two days later, he wants to come back to the city again? He said, I cannot wait to get into that city because I mean, that city loves me. Last time I went through that place, they were cheering, applauding, I mean, waving stuff, yelling stuff. Wait, come, come with me, watch what happens. And so then he walks through that first little gate and nobody's paying him any attention at all. And he's looking around like, what's, what, I, it's not, I guess these people don't know. Let me, let me move up a bit here, this next road. Watch, this was, when I got to this road last time and he gets to that next road and still, Everybody's walking back and forth. Nobody's even paying any attention to this random donkey walking down the street. He goes, okay, wait till I get in the courtyard. Because I mean, when, last time, two days ago, when I was in the courtyard, they were screaming and hollering and waving. Wait till I get there. And he gets into the courtyard and still nobody's paying him any attention at all. And it's only then that he realizes that all that fuss was never about him. It's then he realizes it's who he was carrying is what was stirring the city. And we have to keep that in mind. Even as you develop in your ministry gifts, as you develop in your ministry skill set, and as people look at you and go, man, that was great, as you teach the class, and they say, oh, man, that's the best lesson I've ever heard, or maybe as you lead people and you go, man, I've led 47 people to Christ in the last hour, like, as you get, as God starts to use you, always remember that it's not you. It's who you carry that stirs the city. We are most fulfilled when we're carrying Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 describes it this way. It says, we are sent to speak for Christ. God is begging you to listen to our message. We speak for Christ and sincerely ask you to make peace with God. May that happen this week. And the last part of this incredible Q&A that happens is that the city is stirred. And um, verse 9 the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed, crowds in front of Jesus, crowds behind Jesus, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the Bible says the whole city was stirred and they asked, who is this? Who is this? They're screaming Hosanna. Literally it just means save now, we ask. Save now, we pray. They're, they're, they're shouting Hosanna. It, 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 it has its uh, traditions in the Feast of Tabernacles. That's where these palm branches and, and began to link up with this word Hosanna, save us now. As a matter of fact, they started to call their, their palm branches their Hosannas. So they, these, these two things were always linked. It started back hundreds of years before the Feast of Tabernacles. And now Jesus is entering through this city and it's all coming to one miraculous moment. And they're screaming, Hosanna, Savior, save us now. And it stirs the city. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. Why was the city stirred? Why was the whole city stirred? Was it the presence of the Messiah that stirred the city? Yes. It was the presence of the Messiah but at least equally, it was also the passion of the messengers that stirred the city. Are you with me? Jesus comes in, and yes, the presence of Jesus, the King of Kings, yes, that stirs the city, but also there's all of these, all of these mouths, all of these people making a proclamation going, this is him, this is the Savior, and I would contend to you that it's the 
compassion of the messengers that stirred the city as much as the presence of the Messiah. How important is it that we make that kind of declaration with our mouth, with our life, with our being? How important is it that we live a life that screams, I've been saved. There is a Savior that forgives. God is real. How important is it that we shout that with our life? God is real. That when I'm walking up the, down the halls of my school, that I live a life that just sets me as, uh, apart and it's different and it just communicates that God still saves. How important is it that with you and your, you're at your job and everybody else is lying to get ahead and cheating to get ahead, that you don't. And people go, why? What's the difference? And it gives you a chance to go, because there's a Savior that changes everything. How important is that proclamation? Well, I think we see how important is it in Luke's account of this same narrative. In, in Luke's account of this triumphal entry, they're screaming Hosanna, and they're waving their palm branches. This is what happens in Luke's account in, in chapter 19 of Luke, verse 39. It says, some of the Pharisees of the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, these stones would surely cry out. Now, listen, we use that verse sometimes when we're talking about praise. And we go, if I don't give God my praise, the stones will cry out. And I think that is a fitting interpretation of this scripture. But I think probably in this context, even a more, even a more fitting context of the uh, explanation of this scripture is that, look at it. These people are going, hey, city, it's Jesus. Hey, coworker, it's Jesus. Hey, neighbor, it's Jesus. And Jesus goes, if they don't do that, then the rocks are gonna tell the world who I am. Somebody's gonna tell the world who I am. So yes, praise God in settings like this. I mean, lift God up and don't worry about your image. Go after Jesus and give him praise. Like articulate praise to God. But I'd say one of the big reasons to do it in here is because praise in here is good practice for praise out there. Praise in here is good practice for praise in public. And it stirs a city. Yes, because Jesus was there, but also because people announced that Jesus was there. So much so I like in John's account of this narrative. <laughs> the Pharisees are looking around. They don't know what to do with this. And they say, see, this is getting us nowhere. They say, look how the whole world has gone after him. What a, what a great target for us this week. Look how the whole world has gone after him. What if... What if starting today, we started, as we, as we kind of start Easter week, mainstream Easter tonight and Wednesday night, Easter services Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What if we had, what if we had 50 come to Christ? I think it could, I think it could shift our city. What if we had 100 people come to Christ for the first time over these next seven days? I think it could shift we might see 
something start to happen. What if 500 people came to Christ for the first time at one of our campuses over these next seven days? Uh, what if a thousand people came to Christ and you were a part of it? What if a thousand people came to Christ? Do you think it would stir this city? I think it would. And what if that is what we are called to do? Let's make Easter about what Easter is always supposed to be about. This is Jesus. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.